Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Legal Tech Week. This is the show where we talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation from the past week or so. And uh, we uh, are uh, today going to be talking a little bit about Relativity Fest, the uh, relativity that eDiscovery Company just had its user conference all week in Chicago. Uh, we we made, a couple of us were there, uh, and uh, I've invited Relativity's own David Horrigan, who's a occasional panelist on this show, to join us. He is still in flight, and so he's gonna uh, hoping to land any moment now and join us. So uh, we may hold off a little bit on that. And uh, also, uh, Nikki Black, one of our regular panelists, is going to be joining us a few minutes late because she is off uh, on another webinar uh, at the moment. We'll be coming in shortly. Uh, and uh, as for uh, as for us, uh, I'm Bob Ambrosi. I'm uh, the author of the blog Law Sites, and also have the podcast Law Next. And uh, our other panelists today, uh, speaking of Relativity Fest, uh, Stephanie Wilkins is still there on site <laughs> in Chicago. Say hello. She can't leave the she can't leave the Hyatt. <laughs> Whoops! Now you what? Now you got muted. You're, You're muted. muted. You are muted. You are muted. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, it's like the shining, like you have always been living at the Hyatt Regency Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, Stephanie, and then uh, Victor Lee. Hi, everyone. Victor Lee, uh, um, assistant managing editor for the ABA Journal. Um, yeah, I, I, I know the feeling of spending a lot of time with the Hyatt Regency because all of our, all of our, all, all ABA events are there. I think we have like a special deal with them or something, but yeah, I definitely get the sense that sometimes I can't, I can't get out of there either. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where that fireplace. Oh, is that uh, is that on the uh, Upstairs, skyway thing? There, uh, the skyway yeah, the living room. The nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, bottom. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, and uh, and Steve Embry. Hey, Steve Embry here. I write the blog Tech Wall Crossroads, and I too have spent a lot of time in the bowels of the Hyatt with various tech shows. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be we'll all be back to ABA Tech Show, I'm sure. When that happens yep. in what is it February? February. The yeah. dates are yeah. Yeah, end of February. Right, this year, okay. End of February. All right. Actually, actually, this year it's the middle of February, so moved up. Oh, a that's bit. really early. What happened to yeah. St. Patrick's Day? Uh, we moved it to Valentine's Day. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, that's oh. right too. It's February fourteenth. <laughs> like legal tech. Yeah. yeah. Good. As if our spouses don't already hate us enough for all the conferences we go to. <laughs> Um, all right. Um, well, let's see. So I think we should hold off on talking about Relativity Fest until David comes in the, on the off chance he actually does make it. So we'll, <laughs> give him a, we'll give him a little time here. Uh, and so let's hold off on that and talk about some of the other stuff. Um, and uh, so uh, maybe I'll take, I'm going to uh, take my uh, moderator's prerogative today to talk about the uh, Thomson Reuters uh, Ross lawsuit, because I, I think that's a that's one that I'm really interested in. I've been following it for a long time, and there was a development in that case this this week. That was that that's the case where, you know, it, it's the David versus Goliath case essentially of of Thomson Reuters having sued Ross Intelligence, which was, you know, the the all the buzz uh, legal research AI startup, um, one of the you know really the first one of the first to really be talking about. Uh, its use of AI to kind of streamline the legal research process. Uh, there was a time when it seemed like uh, you couldn't open a, a, a legal 
tech uh, magazine or blog or news site or anything else without there being some story about Ross. They were all over the place. Everybody was talking about him. You couldn't go to a conference without uh, Andrew Arruda, their CEO, being there speaking. Uh, but that lawsuit uh, pretty much shut them down. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, they were unfortunately at a point where they needed to, uh, and Andrew is sometimes in the audience here, uh, but they, uh, you know, they, they just couldn't really afford to, they were at a point where they really needed to raise some money or get acquired or something. Uh, and with the lawsuit happening, nobody was going to uh, invest in them. And that kind of spelled their, their demise. But thanks to the wonders of insurance coverage, the lawsuit continues with their insurance company continuing to defend the claims and to bring counterclaims against Thompson Reuters. Uh, and it's a it's a pretty interesting lawsuit in the sense that you know Ross is really kind of challenging this whole premise that Thompson Reuters has copyright in uh, things like its key number system and its headnotes. And uh, you know part of Ross's argument is that the key number system is just like stupidly obvious. I mean, it's just how you organize the legal you know basic legal concepts like contracts and torts and whatever. Uh, and that uh, a lot of the headnotes are essentially just quotes taken out of cases. They're they're not really uh, acts of original authorship or anything like that. And there is Nikki Black. Hey, Nikki, welcome. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I was late. That's okay. That's okay. We we, <laughs> we may have another one join us even later. So you're you're ahead of the. Ahead All right the then. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're early compared to some. Because David Horrigan is going to join us when he gets off a of flight, hopefully uh, back from uh, Relativity Fest. So uh, I had just started to talk about uh, welcome, and uh, I hope you had a good. I know you did just did a webinar for the Vermont Bar Association. I hope that went well. Yeah, it was good. It was their annual meeting, and the guy that followed me was a Buddhist philosopher, and I felt like. <laughs> I, you know, I, I really came in under the bar with that coming after me, but no, it was good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I was just talking about the the uh, the Ross uh, Thompson Reuters Ross uh, ruling this week. So, so uh, we, we, against that backdrop, you know, they, they've the suit has been going on for a while. There's been a, a whole lot of discovery going on, a whole lot of uh, depositions, a whole lot of expert witnesses, and then both parties move for summary judgment. And, uh, you know, of, of course, the, the, the standard for summary judgment is there has to be no, uh, you know, dispute as to the uh, as to the material facts of the case. And essentially, the judge ruled that this is a factual mess. I forget. Is that what I the way I've, what I quoted it in my in my story? But uh, basically that it was a, 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 a factual mess uh, and that he couldn't decide uh, most of the issues in this case. They're going to have to go to a jury, going to have to go to trial. Uh, but that said, I thought that one uh, interesting thing is that he did find as a matter of law, essentially, that uh, Ross had been uh, copying um, Thompson Reuters content, uh, head notes and, and key numbers. Um, you know, that I don't know if they had changed their tune at some point, but certainly at the time this lawsuit started, they were denying that they were saying there had been no copying going on. Uh, and of course, they had this whole arrangement had happened through this company called LegalEase, which is a, a legal research company. Um, and uh, Ross had hired LegalEase 
and uh, legalese uh, had had the Westlaw subscriptions and were just downloading tons of stuff from from Westlaw and Thomson Reuters had separately screwed screwed <laughs> screwed uh, Freudian, Freudian slip sued <laughs> legalese <laughs> uh, and uh, they had settled that suit and and apparently according to the judge's opinion they had admitted that they had been covering they had been copying this stuff uh and, and the judge basically found as a matter of law that they had been so um there will you know uh, unless this somehow settles uh in some other way there will be a trial in this case and uh there will be a, a decision after a trial on whether west really does have a copyright in this stuff another issue to be decided is whether uh, you know Ross has raised a fair use defense that its use of these uh, head notes and other materials to train its AI was uh, somehow a fair use, um, and uh, so I don't know. In in this in, in this age of uh, everybody talking about AI and legal research, how this turns out could really be interesting. And and given some of the other lawsuits uh, out there, I think Nikki, I saw, I think I saw you pointed this out at some point in a, in a tweet or something. But given some of the lawsuits out there over you know, using uh, various uh, materials for training generative AI, uh, there could be some some precedent here for stuff that's going on now. So anyway, that's my take on that. Any, any Anybody have any thoughts or comments on that? Yeah, it's interesting because I think one, one of the first, well, I mean, a long time ago, I did a, I did a, I think one of the first features I did for the ABA Journal was about something, it was about Carl Malamud and like, you know, the, um, all the losses that he had with 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 the, like sets of West and West on those those types of places and and you know and and I remember asking him just the very question about like well you know what about the head notes what about the the citations or like and, and and he made it pretty clear I said, no that's their that's their IP they can they can they can they can you know they can protect that that's not that's not what we're that's not what we're using we're using the actual text of the law and whatnot um so yeah I'd be interested to scan to kind of see what he what, what he thinks about all this like like kind of like you know because because obviously you know like like, like that's where he was willing to draw draw the line and kind of make that distinction and not and not and not not um you know fight fight that fight that battle on that so it's interesting it's kind of like 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 how come you know yeah like 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 why he made that decision and, and sort of like how that yeah in this case I assume that there was you know like they weren't necessarily just using it you know they're using it more to train the AI as opposed to actually like you know passing it off and whatnot, but still, yeah, it's interesting sort of like where, where people draw lines on these things. Yeah, I think that's interesting. It has been kind of a, a given, I think, and people who talk about Thompson Reuters that, oh yeah, the, the, the head notes are, are editorial and, and, and they have the copyright in that, but just, you know, and, and maybe it is still a given, there's no decision yet, but I think the judge left left it open that, that that's, you know, it's it's something to be to be figured out. Yeah, and it's just probably like a lot of cases like that is, you know, who, who was telling what to whom about the products that were being used and what legalese was telling Ross. You know, it's it, it, it's an interesting case to all of us because we all knew or know, he's still around, we all know Andrew, and uh, he was one of the first people to really trumpet AI and its use by lawyers and legal research. And they had those black Ross t-shirts that he and his team all wore to every session of every every conference and and they were they were likable and, and and are likable and dynamic and good speakers and uh i know when i first heard of the lawsuit i felt bad for for uh andrew and ross uh, so you know this i guess you know you, you can never assume that you know everything there is to know about something <laughs> yeah 
Exactly. Well, no, I think it is easy to feel bad for them with the whole David versus Goliath thing. But I think, I mean, just total face value. They did hit on like one of their key distinguishing features, which I think is why they came out swinging at them. And whether or not it is copyrightable, I, I'm not the judge here, but I face value totally get their claim that it is. Yeah, yeah. It's also interesting when you think about the legal research market uh, and given that, uh, you know, five years ago, there were appeared to be these kind of two legal research startups that were possibly right. opposed to uh, uh, poised to, uh, you know, become bigger players in the market and, and Thomson Reuters sued one out of business and bought the other one out of business. So uh, there you go. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say, maybe there's an alternate universe out there where they were the ones who got, where Ross was the one that got bought for Six hundred something million dollars, and and right. Case Tech is the one that that's out of business. <laughs> a different simulation, <laughs> maybe Avatar based. <laughs> are we are we in a multiverse? Is that like a different? Yeah, parallel. Yeah, multiverse, yeah. parallel universes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, well, all right. Well, actually, speaking of of, of uh, AI and multiverses and all of that, uh, Nikki, you had a really interesting story this week on the question of whether a federal agency should govern AI. Can you talk about that. Well, I thought Not it was interesting. Story, but yeah. Well, I I did submit a story that I wrote. It was about um, contract lifecycle management AI tools that have been rolled out, which you know isn't a hot story to talk about. So I'll submit that link so people can read my <laughs> ABA journal article. But I decided to pick something else as my main topic just because it definitely caught my eye when I, uh, every morning, like a lot of you, I think I spend time skimming through the um, headlines and trying to see what's going on and trending. And uh, this one caught my eye. And what it was was whether it should be a federal, ag federal agency to um, govern artificial intelligence. And that was the headline question. and. I thought it was interesting. It said that the headline, that was the headline, but the article actually referred, to, uh, it talked about a study where, um, uh, and the, where a bunch of different computer uh, science experts were, um, uh, were queried. They did a survey and the computer science experts um, thought that there should either be a federal agency or else uh, um, worldwide um, oversight. And I actually think that the, I, I think I'm feeling a little philosophical coming out of that conference where I had to listen to the Buddhist philosopher talk about AI for half an hour. But um, a lot of what he was talking about kind of made me think a lot about A, simulations, but also, um, the, you know, Star Trek versus Terminator or um, the Jetsons versus Battlestar Galactica. Like, which way are we going with this artificial intelligence? And uh, are we going to have like this innate, are we going to have this world where everything is wonderful and beautiful? Are we going to put good into this thing to make it become good? Or is it going to be the ultimate evil that takes over the world? Um, and I think that, that actually that world organization thing reminds me a lot of the Star Trek side of things, right? That's how Star Trek, initially the, the Earth, and ultimately all the different aliens that they discovered, you know, they have the um, unified, uh, now I'm having a mind blank, the planetary the federation of planets not a federation <laughs> of planets right 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 yeah i knew there'd be another track here uh, i knew victor would be able to help you with that <laughs> <laughs> but right but like the united federation of planets initially it was the world had to come together on earth to control to, to as one 
to actually emerge into the enlightened side, um, into this new world. And then it became a United Federation of Planets. And it was all of these, you know, aliens and humans working together for the good of the overall universe. And I, I know it sounds extreme, but we're at this tipping point right now where they don't understand how the AI works. They don't really actually understand how it reaches its decisions. The people that are creating it don't understand it. And the people that are creating it have actually said they're concerned and they are the ones that want this regulation. They, except they want to be the one to regulate it. They like the, the corporate, you know, they want to make sure that they regulate it. And they're, they're the evil ones to begin with. I mean, come on. But I think that the idea of a worldwide, I, I don't think we're going to be able to do that right now. Can you envision the entire world coming together to try to regulate AI? But I thought it was just, at the very least, the federal agency, but I still am so concerned that they don't even know what TikTok is, so I'm not sure how we're going to be able to, you know, mess around with us, understand AI sufficiently to come up with any sort of plan. But I, I think that it's a, at least it would be a way to get started. Um, but at this point, I almost feel like, um, and I said this earlier when I was talking to the Vermont, at the Vermont meeting, but I almost feel like, you know, the cat's out of the bag and there's nothing we can even do at this point. This is, this is already the train out of the station and I don't think there's anything we can do to rein it back in. So I, I, I'll leave on that. I'll leave uh, my, uh, I'm going to leave on that note. <laughs> I'll let the rest of you, what on, do you think? On that cheery, on that cheery note. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. My biggest concern in regulation, which I believe, I, I do firmly believe there has to be regulation of AI, but is my biggest question is who's going to be regulating? I'm afraid it's going to be people, you don't want people regulating really out of fear. You don't want people regulating out of ignorance. You want the tech people involved in the regulating, but not <laughs> with a corporate interest. And so it's like, who who is going to do this in a way that it's ever going to be right? And I, I mean, this is where my pessimism comes in or realism, as it were. I don't know how we get it right. I think it needs to be done, but I, it's very... Well, look, look at how well Congress is functioning right. today. I mean, right, what right. are you worried about? <laughs> you should just have a brain trust in the Hyatt Regency in Chicago. The people who are in charge of impeaching Biden, they're going to want to come up, come up with the come up with the rules because they're really good at coming up with like evidence and and and, and, and acting on it. No, I, I mean, but I, I feel like there's always this debate, right? I mean, with, 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 the, with, the, with, the, with the autonomous vehicles, oh, who's, who's going to you know who, who's who's going to make the regulations, or who's going to you know who's gonna, are we going to have federal regulations, are we going to have state regulations? Is it going to be agencies? Blah blah blah. Is it going to be you know the trade associations themselves coming up with things? I think there's always there's always some kind of you know like like, like whenever any kind of new technology comes along, there's always going to be something like that. And then I mean, ultimately, I, I kind of feel like it, it always ends up just being this kind of like okay, well, agencies will come up with some rules, but a lot of it will just default to like what. You know, existing whatever existing laws are, and they'll just like kind of analogize it to whatever the new technology is. So, like, you know, for for um, you know, for for AI, it'll probably just you know default to whatever whatever's whatever's closest to it. Which I don't know if there is anything, but but yeah, but that seems to be the that seems to be the standard operating procedure for a lot of these things, especially in this country. Can, can anybody explain to me what it even means to regulate AI? I don't get it. I mean, what is that? How do you regulate that? What what does it mean? You you have rules about who can do what with it and how. Yeah, that's gonna happen, right? And the well, <laughs> not used and yeah, yeah, and I mean, that's not and, ever gonna happen. Well, no, no, that's why I think theoretically regulation is important and necessary, but I still do not see how we get there. 
Yeah. We, and you, you look at the one of the, the other vexing problem that we have today, which is data breaches and privacy notifications. Well, we have 50 different states with 50 different standards, and the federal standard is not even possible. It's not even well, not even possible to discuss. <laughs> one of the earliest AI laws on the books is a local New York City law. Like that's like, and like there's like a Colorado insurance law. Like it is the opposite of a national approach to this, let alone a global approach to this. Well, and that's where that's. I mean, I keep waxing philosophical just because I what this this person after I spoke was saying, but you know that his. Philosophy thesis was that the system, the intelligence of AI is only going to be as good as what the input is. And, uh, you know, it's either the good or the bad of humanity and that it may ultimately end up being like two different intelligence systems, one good and one bad. And I was like, you just described the plot of Terminator. So I don't feel like this bodes well for us, you know, like, <laughs> so, Did it? I mean, I don't know where, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I... One other point, totally different from this article that you have, is that there was the the one bullet point, like a th I put it like a throwaway line in the article that is more disturbing than anything I thought. Where it said uh, other survey, other key survey findings: sixty two percent predict AI will increase racial, gender, and economic disparities. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> I think it's just gonna it's gonna take the worst of humanity and amplify it. And I think that that's the danger. And that's where we are right now. There are no controls. There is no regulation. And soon you're going to have, it's going to be Terminator where you're, we already have it. They've already put Gen AI into those stupid Boston Dynamics dogs. That's terrifying. Terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's terrifying. And, you know, once you, and they already, you know that, that they already have those Boston Dynamic robots, the human ones, simulated human ones and the dog ones with built-in guns. They're already being used in hostage situations and where, and where there's bombs. Like, I mean, it's over. Like, it's over once they can actually start thinking for themselves. Like, and I think we're already there. They've literally, I've already seen headlines where they, like, not the government, but individual private people have already tried to put AI into robots. And it's like, I, I can't, like, generative AI. Like, it's terrifying. Yeah. So I think this came up in, not to jump ahead to Relativity Fest yet, but this came up in a couple panels or one I was particularly on with Bob and Joy Heath Rush and a bunch of the journalists where the, the access to justice question came up. And like, I, I turned in, I'm like, so much is like, it has the potential for so much good. Everyone keeps using the word potential, which is 100% true, but there's a large jump between potential and people actually making the effort to do the good. Yeah, I was interested also, yes, speak also as being a relative invest yesterday, there was the access to justice panel with Kristen Sunday, who I think is in the audience today, and, and Jim Sandman from formerly the President of Legal Services Corporation. And he was super optimistic that AI was going to be a powerful force in addressing the justice gap. And and uh, uh, I, I think Kristen also expressed the same sentiment. So I mean, that that was good to hear, I think. Yeah, but I also no, kind of feel like, you know, I mean, kind of like, kind of like what Nikki said, it's kind of like, but you can use it to cover a lot of like the existing biases, right? People are like, oh well, hey, I didn't, I didn't discriminate against these guys. The AI pick, pick, you know, they don't discriminate, and then they pick this this white candidate over this, you know, other. I mean, so it's, it's just, it, I mean, it goes good data in, good data out, bad data in, bad data out. Is ultimately who trains the algorithms, people, and so people are gonna impute their, you know, subjective or or overt biases to it, then we're just gonna get more of 
of what of what of what of what we already have. Only only now there'll be the there'll be the stamp of well, hey, the machine came up with it, not me. So I you know I can't be blamed for this. And like, yeah, I, I didn't, by no means did I mean to imply that there aren't people doing good with this. There are a lot of people doing a lot of really good work, but you're going to need to scale them to an army of good people if you want the good to triumph over the evil. And I feel like now I've gotten really dramatic about this, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's going to take a lot of concerted effort by a lot of people to make that win out. Yeah. I, I heard a, a presentation by Laura Grossman who's computer scientist at the University of Toronto and like Nikki she she had great pause about uh, what we're doing and where we're going and the pause I sort of sort of asked her I said well like we can always just unplug them right just unplug the computer and she said well yeah you can do that right now but keep in mind that in the future devices, with artificial intelligent programs will be interconnected in ways that unplugging one is doesn't do any good at all. And if you don't know what the, the, the machines are doing and how they're thinking that that does raise some concerning questions, if you will. We did and, you not and the fact, and the fact that somebody as knowledgeable as she is, was concerned, uh, you know, she's not an Elon Musk, the sky is falling. She's a very, rational sort of reasoned person and the fact that she was concerned about that makes me concerned about it yeah, yeah. i was gonna say did you not all see the oscar award-winning film megan and the turning <laughs> unplugging her didn't work <laughs> right and i was gonna say that's Battlestar galactica right they the only way that the humans had a chance was because they had these non-networked old um ships right. that were out yeah. of commission and that's the only reason they could fight because the machines took over everything was networked and um, all of their like top of the line new ships didn't work anymore because the machines shut them down. So like we are literally entering, you know, the stuff that you just said, Stephen, and what this Buddhist monk was saying, and all these articles I'm reading. Like I want, I love Tatiana. Like I think it's really cool, but I feel like this is like the honeymoon phase, and it's almost over. I often, <laughs> refer well. I often reference Buddhist monks and Steve Embry in the same sentence. <laughs> he's, he's got that he's got the look if he only had a robe on it would work um, um so so about a year about a year ago on this show before we were talking about the uh, ai uh multiverse we were talking a whole lot about the metaverse uh that was coming and uh, although a lot of us maybe have forgotten about the metaverse is at least one person who apparently hasn't uh, i think judging by a story victor has this week so you want to talk about that victor <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, because I, I was just kind of wondering, the reason why I just chose it was because I was just kind of wondering about this the other day. I was like, I was like, because because I, I mean, doing all the chat GPT and generative AI stuff, I was just like, wow, remember when everyone was like all crazy about the metaverse and how that was going to change everything and how this was going to be the next big thing and was going to revolutionize everything and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, whatever happened to that? And then and then I just kind of, you know, I found this article about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg not being able to quit, quit the metaverse. I mean, look, when you rename your whole company you know, meta, I guess you can't really then just pivot and do something else unless you're going to, you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, like, um, you know, I mean, and again, I, I know people were always, I mean, they were not, they were never as big on this as they were on other things. Cause you know, I mean, you have, you know, with, with ChatGPT is something that, that, that people can kind of get very easily. Um, it's, it's, it's easy to use. Uh, it's something that, you know, 
that yeah like you can just use it for fun but you can use it for, for other things you can just play around with it or you can actually use it for research or, or, or to help you write or that kind of stuff so it's the more practical uses whereas with you know the metaverse i think people were confused okay well do i have to buy all the equipment do i have to you know wear these goggles all the time like where do i go like what do i do with it like like how do i how do i you know interact with people so there was a lot there were a lot a lot more unknowns with it and i kind of i always kind of felt like that was going to be sort of a barrier to like widespread adoption of it, just this idea of like, well, people just might not want to bother with it at the end of the day. I mean, it's one thing, it's one thing if everyone's doing it, but if there's not, if there aren't, if there aren't enough people that are actually doing it and encouraging you to do it and making you do it, then what's the point? And so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, just seeing, seeing, seeing how quickly something like ChatGPT has been, been, been embraced and adopt, adopted and, 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 and utilized for a lot of things. Um, you know, we don't always see that with technology. And, and I think that's the reason why is because very often, a lot of times it's stuff like this, where it's like, you know, you don't know, you don't really know like what the practical use of it is. You don't know, you know, what the, what the, the actual investment's going to be. You don't know, like, yeah, like, 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 like how many people around you are going to be using it. Cause like, yeah, if, if you're the only one, if you're the only one on the metaverse and nobody else around you is, and then it's like, why are you there? So, so yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether, whether it's still around. But I mean, very often these things, you know, look look like they're going to die, but then they make a comeback for some reason, like QR codes. Like we, I think we all thought QR codes were 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 dead in the water, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and they became in again. So who knows? Maybe maybe just the metaverse was a few years ahead of its time, or maybe it's you know maybe there's still another use for it down the line. Uh, but yeah, right now it kind of looks like it's 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 not it's not going so far. I will have to note though that right before the show, I did see an article, um, an announcement by Meta that their avatars in the metaverse are now going to have simulated legs. So legs, now, yay, now yay. that we got, now that we got legs, maybe it'll be a go, you know? <laughs> I like the line. And in, in, again, in this, the story that Victor uh, pointed to uh, in, in 2022 Meta's reality labs division reported an operational loss of $13.7 billion. So uh, apparently Zuckerberg never saw that movie reality bites. <laughs> yeah, but that's like that's like that's like nothing for him, right? Thirteen point seven. It's like pocket change. <laughs> I guess I did I see know. a video in what I think it was on LinkedIn, so uh, in my LinkedIn feed just a couple of hours ago, where it was probably during Zuckerberg's speech, but it showed him interacting with this guy in like almost like holographic form. It was, it was unbelievably realistic. With some other guy in the metaverse, but I don't think it's the metaverse that's commercially available. But it, they, I think, they're previewing some product. But it, it, it was interesting because the guy, it's still these, there's two heads pointing at each other. They're both kind of looking randomly in places, but they're both going, "Wow, this is so real. It's like I can see you." But it was like these floating heads. Is <laughs> what you could see as the, uh, in terms of what the video was showing. But I mean, you can see some value in that. But I, I don't know. It's hard to envision the metaverse ever being a thing unless the world goes to crap and nobody can leave their house. You know, well, we end well, yeah, up in the I, I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, I, I remember I think when I spoke to some people who were some lawyers that were getting into it, they were like, oh yeah, it's perfect for the pandemic. It's perfect for people who don't want to come in, and you know, you can you can work with people remotely, people who would just stay at home and blah blah blah. But yeah, but now it's kind of like, well, that seems to have passed. Or I mean, there's still some people who aren't going to want to come in and, and do that stuff. But yeah, I mean, people want to get back to normal and do their thing, so. Well, that's yeah. also a sci-fi book, right? I can't, I, it's a really popular, well-known one. Um, that's where Meta came from, the Meta. Ready, ready, ready Player One, I think, right? 
Uh, yeah, Ready Player One. That's one of Ready them. Yeah, for one. sure. That's yeah. yeah, but you know, that's because the world became so impoverished because they're only really rich people, and all the poor people literally lived in like tenement housing, like almost everyone in the whole world. So that was their escape. But that's literally the direction we're headed, right? Like. <laughs> So maybe we're all going to be in the metaverse quicker than we think. <laughs> you, you did not absorb enough from this Buddhist philosophy. Yeah, like, like, like you're, 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 you're in a really kind of you're not, so, not so zen mood today. here today. <laughs> you really disturbed me. I'm going to have nightmares now. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, why don't we uh, take a moment to meditate on Steve's story this week before we? Uh, I wonder, like, apparently David Oregon is getting close to joining us. His plane has landed, so. Uh, the eagle has landed in any moment he may be joining us, but, but, uh, so let's David see, let's, will, let's, 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 David will soon be in the building. David will be in the building. So let's, uh, let's, let's hit on your story. And you you want to talk about, you want to talk about the, the, the poor big, big firm not, lawyers? I don't really, you, I don't you, really want to. Are you asking me an option? Want, I mean, you want, <laughs> you want to talk about Microsoft and the Mayo Clinic? <laughs> your, your, your choice, whatever you want. Okay. Well, it, I don't get to talk about big law and big corporates a lot. You know, it's like it's uh, we it was an interesting here. article by a guy <laughs> named uh, Hugh Hugh Simons in Law.com. And the thing that that made it interesting to me is it, after I got to the end of reading it, I discovered that that Hugh Simons is actually the chief operating officer of Ropes and Gray. Mm. Uh, so that some of his conclusions and some of his alarm, I guess, is the best way to put it. Uh, rings true but one of the things that he noted is he noticed some st some statistics and i wasn't quite clear where they came from but the increase in the number of in-house counsel between year 2000 and 2022 around 77 percent increase and the amwa 100 was only a 23 percent increase and the amwa 200 was only a 10 percent increase and uh, Simon sort of concluded from that that it would appear that that in-house lawyers are doing much more than they ever did before, uh, and that would sort of assume that that is removing or taking away work from uh, outside lawyers. And, and he proceeded to also make the point that that in-house lawyers can can now do a lot more of sort of the standardized, I wouldn't say commodity work necessarily, but I guess commodity work uh, through automation tools and and AI that historically perhaps they would be sending out to their law firms, which kind of puts a squeeze and, and on, on law firms that don't do what I would call bet the company kind of cases. He, he didn't call them bet the company, but that class of cases where you need a specialized lawyer and lawyers in a particular area because the because the value of the deal or the case is so large that cost doesn't matter and you don't have the capacity in-house to do that kind of thing and that would of course trend in favor of the amlaw 100 law firms that have much more capacity to do that and and the name recognition you know what's the old saying you know you never get in trouble for for, for selecting IBM, I guess maybe today you would, but back in the day you wouldn't. And so if you have a, a bet the company case, there's there's a certain number of law firms that you can hire for which you won't be criticized. The other interesting thing that he, he noted, uh, which was a little surprise, well, I guess not terribly surprising, 
he made the point that being an equity partner today in a in an AMLAW, particularly an AMLAW 100 law firm, it's really not the tendered position that it once was. Um, you, you're expected to be a great lawyer. You're expected to bring in business, and you're expected, according to to Simons, to bring in business that can be leveraged to make it much more profitable. And if you can't do that, even as an equity partner, he says, you know, it's sort of an upper out mentality, uh, which is a really a fundamental change in the law firm sort of collegial. We're a profession, not a business. Not that that's been true. That hasn't been true for a long time, but it has been true for a long time that it was difficult to to get rid of equity partners that were not quote, productive, and however you want to design that for a whole lot of reasons, not the least of which is people worked with and people knew them. Most firms have a, a, a percentage of partners that have to vote you out, not just, you know, it can't be done by the by the managing partner if somebody raises a stink. And if if you follow uh, Simon's logic, you know, that, that could be changing in a very fundamental way, which um, I don't know if it's, I guess it's not necessarily good but it does recognize the fact that that these are huge law firms are huge business operations at the at the high end level and it's no different than any other business would behave if you're not productive and you've been there 35 years you're gone so anyway i thought the whole thing was pretty interesting particularly given his his position it's uh, an insider at a very I guess hopes and grace probably an AMLA 100 firm is certainly in the top 200, but I think it's probably in the top 100. I thought that was yeah, interesting for that reason. I think they're 50, I think they're 50 even. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah. very well be. Yeah. I, I, I'm watching Dennis Kennedy's comments in the chat, who is a, in fact, a former in-house counsel appears to not be uh, overly impressed by, by, by the story here, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sorry, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely some interesting insights. I mean, I, I remember I, one of the uh, earliest interviews I did on on my current other podcast on, on the Law Next podcast was with Mark Chandler, uh, you know, the chief legal officer at, at Cisco for, for a long time. Uh, and I mean, he basically talked about he, he considered his legal department a law firm. Basically, that's the way he looked at his, at his legal department. And then law firms and ALSPs or whatever were just people to help supplement what he was doing in-house at, at, at his law firm, right? You know, they weren't, it wasn't like we're, we're the client and, and, and they're the, the lawyers. It's we're the lawyers and, and these other firms and ALSPs are, you know, help supplement what we do in-house. I mean, it's a different, different perspective, I know, but uh, I think some firm, some legal departments certainly have that, that take. Um, I'm happy to talk about Microsoft. Maybe that'll make. Well, no, let, no. Well, we can, let's. let's no, I, I think. Uh, yeah, David. We David's gonna David's gonna have to be on the tail end of our discussion. I think because we're we're gonna run out of time if we don't start talking about Relativity Fest sometime soon. So hopefully he can he can swoop in at the last moment and share some brilliant in, insights. Uh, they're probably it's probably they're probably like sitting at the gate waiting for the you know you know how that goes for the plane to leave ahead of you or something. Right. Um, it's always but, slow. Uh, always slow to de, de board when you're in the biggest hurry. I've found. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So I, I, you know, and actually, I mean, there's besides the the Relativity Fest itself, which we can talk about, there was also news out of Relativity, which is that that Relativity this week unveiled its air, its uh, its air for review, which is its generative AI driven uh, e-discovery review product, uh, which Docker. it described. Huh? <laughs> what a shocker! <laughs> shocker, what? right? Dang right. <laughs> and, and an even further shocker: they're not actually releasing it yet, but it's going to be coming down the pike someday soon. Uh, but uh, I thought it was interesting because they kind of positioned it not as not as a be all end all review product, but rather as very much supplemental to their core review products and even to their other AI review products that they already had. I, 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 it's funny. I mean, I, I got a I got a demo uh, just ahead of the the keynote last week. Uh, I'm sure you guys did. Some of you guys did too. And you know, I, I said, well, like you know, before you were telling me that your AI review product was the be all end all AI review product, and now you've got a new AI review product. So uh, how does that work? <laughs> well, the old one is is really good, and and this is supplemental to the old one. I guess is the way they kind of put it in in better they didn't they put it more articulately than that but i, I feel like that's kind of the way uh I, I think it's an interesting dilemma i think for some companies that this issue of well we already had ai products and now we're rolling out these new ai products and in some ways having to kind of change how we talked about our former ai products in order to boost up our new ai products and look at that right there he is right on, right on cue <laughs> how'd you do that bob <laughs> had him waiting in the wings the whole time <laughs> wait, we, David we were waiting for you we just started to talk about uh, Relativity Fest actually I was talking about air but uh, we'll, we'll get the Relativity Fest so thanks for hopping on at uh, at Logan I sure hope you made it to I Logan I mean I guess this means it's a brilliant arrival time and not obscenely late and uh, Bob greetings from your hometown airport you can see all these good citizens yeah. waiting to start their weekends and Whoa, there was one massive GDPR violation, but I think we just got the back of people's heads, so I don't think that's actionable. Uh, <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, Bob. Great to yeah, spend yeah. part of Friday afternoon with you. Yeah, well, just a few hours ago that I was at that very important airport, it feels like. So. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks. So yeah, so we actually did just kind of just start talking about uh, it. We were holding off trying to, hoping you were uh, you were going to make it. Um, and uh we're talking about air a little bit, but what, what about the conference? Uh, I, why don't we, David? Why don't we start with you since you uh, made this effort to, to get here? Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, what, what people who weren't at the conference won't won't know is that is that I don't know. Poor David is that <laughs> how many how many CLE programs did you moderate over the course of these two days or three <laughs> days of this conference? Uh, and uh, Bob, as, as yeah. I, because I'm an insane person. That would be nine CLEs in three days. Not unlike Ed Rooney talking about Ferris Bueller and Ferris Bueller's day off. Nine <laughs> times. Yeah. But they were I mean, all it, fun, it, right? and, They were all fun, and, 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 at least, and, and at least one of them, a federal judge, called you possibly the best moderator she had ever seen, I think. Something to that effect. So because if I recall right from the judges' on panels. The planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, so anyway, what was your what was your takeaway? What what's what what struck you about the conference this year? What's what what worked? What didn't? Boy, you know, I have to at first admit my inherent bias because um, I'm old enough to not want to admit how many relativity fests I've attended because I went to relativity fest before I was an employee. But it's a lot. But boy, it was great. Obviously, it was downtime for everyone during COVID. They had to go completely remote for two years. 
And now I think the hybrid system seems to work for people, even people who can't make it there can join online, which is great. Um, boy, there's a lot of energy. And I got to admit, my perspective is somewhat skewed because of the nine times in CLE sessions. So that takes a lot, but you get a good feel for things because luckily um, there were a lot of people in these sessions and we had um, members of Legal Tech Group Roundtable there. Thank you, Bob, for doing. Stephanie, I think you're on the broadcast today. Thank you. And uh, just you're in. Uh, Steve Embry is here too. Oh, Steve. Hey, Who Steve, was there? Thank you for coming to. Well, Steve was reporting on a lot of those sessions. So, Steve, thank you for doing that. And then, of course, we had uh, 1990s uh, Virginia jurisprudence with cutting edge analysis from Joe Patrice. <laughs> So uh, you can never go wrong with that. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? How do we how do we tell the the how do we tell the Lorena Bobbitt story? We have to tell that you story. You know, I may already end up in HR over this one. Um, thank you, Joe Patrice. But um, no, it was conveniently not here today. Yeah, I, I shouldn't talk about Joe when he's not here. But boy, okay, that's the best oh, you can you can you can bet he's talking about you right now, Dave. Good point. Good <laughs> no, it was the cameras in the courtroom session. We had Judge Matthewman on there. Stephanie was on there. Joe was on there, and of course, Isha Marate was on there. And we got that was, by the way, that was a that was a really interesting discussion. Uh, I, I thought, and it, it was it was, and Joe and I talked about it afterwards. And you know, we sort of said it was interesting because there was such a divergence of of, of views and nuanced views. Steve has tried to cut off the discussion around Lorraine and Bobbitt. And that's that's good. Thank you, Steve. Steve, you are my hero. (laughs) You will not give this on short trips. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And and of course, there was was you, Stephanie, Joe, and Isha on the You're breaking up, David. AI to, uh, Is that just me? No, David, we can't hear you. Well, I think I think oh. he's conveniently inaudible for the story he doesn't yeah. want to tell. Oh, okay, okay. So, <laughs> and that concludes David's discussion of the Lorena Bobbitt story. It's not working too well. It's it's just I think it's the bad connection is the problem. I think it's the yeah Wi-Fi wherever you are. I can give this setup until he comes back. We're we're discussing cameras in the courtroom with Judge Matthew Min, me, Joe Isha. Uh, it's a great conversation, but then it's talking about possible ways things can go wrong. And he brings up the, you know, 1990, whatever case it was of Lorena Bobbitt and Virginia Federal Court and how they had, I'm still giving him time to come back. But so at one point it was live cord feed, court feeds like set between like nobody had control over the cameras. And they happened to show some very graphic evidence from an emergency room that no one ever intended to have on TV. And so not thinking, David <laughs> says, oh, is he there? Hey, do we have audio now? Oh, perfect. Ooh, wow. I, I yeah. just got you to the setup of where the cameras showed some graphic emergency room evidence. Now you can take it back over. Well, and there was the graphic, and basically the discussion was pool cameras and cameras in the courtroom. As so many of the viewers here know, um, federal uh, cameras are allowed in most federal courts, but they are prohibited in most federal courts with the exception of some pilot programs. Um, the Phil Mickelson suit being one of them, 
Um, and so it's a real issue if you've got one camera, if you're showing things that uh, shouldn't be shown. And we got into the ethics rules that involve uh, lawyers, journalists, as well as judges, and uh, whether cameras are going to really affect what people say. And you know, there's been all these arguments about whether there should be cameras in the Supreme Court, a federal court, of course. And the idea is it'll change the what, what goes on in the courtroom. Now, whether that's for better or for worse, I don't know. I think Judge Matthewman is really for transparency, but he's got his own reservations about cameras in the courtroom. And Isha, being a former broadcast journalist, was great. And um, uh, Stephanie, you had great perspectives as well. It's it's an interesting one. But, you know, that was one of them. State of the Union was great. But well, wait a minute. Um, you gotta, you gotta, oh, you're, you're you fit, you have, we have to finish the story. All right. Stephanie's going to have to finish it for you. Then. Right. All right. Stephanie. To, to, to preserve my career, why don't you finish telling the story? <laughs> so the point of panel is set up. David is standing here. I'm right next to him. And Joe is on the far end of four. So my back, my back of my head is to David. I'm looking, making eye contact with Joe, which is never in the future a good panel setup <laughs> for anybody. Or the best setup you pick. But so he's like, yeah, so they they uh, they they showed this, <laughs> they showed this graphic emergency room pictures that they probably should have and then they just immediately had to cut it short or they had to immediately cut it off cut it off <laughs> they immediately <laughs> had to cut it off and i just went and then joe yeah. went yes yeah, so did lorena <laughs> on the whole panel and then david still didn't figure out what had happened he's like yes i had to turn him and be like interesting because i words, I, I actually i've never seen I... him step away from a podium before being like <laughs> oh my god yeah. And, and I, I would I would also note for the record, David, that I don't think I've ever seen anybody's face redder <laughs> than yours was at that moment. <laughs> Whoops. The problem is that I had gone into such, uh, let's say, gi linguistic gymnastics on not to tell the whole fact pattern, but oh, yeah, he's just like, to not give the, the facts of the case. Uh, yeah. He's even going to say what Lorena Baba was and then just happened to casually yeah. throw it in. And then cut it off. <laughs> I mean, we also we also had it. another panelist who had no idea what the Lorena Bobbitt case so was. So know what it was. Yes, right, like, right. Along, and then she had a. It was one of those things that we we told her afterwards, and we kept telling more and more details, and like you couldn't make it up. And but so you know, I yeah. To, to to the point of Jim McMillan in the comments, it's like, can you believe we're still talking about cameras in the courtroom? Is that still an issue? I mean, yeah. it, it it is kind of crazy, right? And because it's still an issue. Well, in my yeah. argument, my concluding thought was, I think it's actually going to become more of an issue going forward, because now that we have all this potential for deep fakes of trial court footage, I think it's going to re-raise it and maybe take it back to not wanting them. And that's a great point. Towards wanting them. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, if you don't allow them, you know the deep fakes are fake. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so we heard David's take. Uh, just, just apart from Lorena Bobbitt, uh, Stephen, Stephen, Stephanie, any, any other thoughts just on on the conference or anything else that you saw or heard there that uh, really jumped out at you? Or, well, the women. I mean, the access to justice panel was excellent, and going hand in hand with that, the panel about the the women judges and the Taliban and how the National Association of Women Judges is working to get them out and provide for them was just, I, it was it was just mind blowing. I've never seen a panel like that at a legal tech conference and you know they had one of the extracted women judges from from afghanistan it was just amazing stories and they're doing amazing work and i know as a speaker you got a little gift card that you could contribute to a cause and i haven't yet looked at what all the causes are but i pretty sure after seeing that session and meeting those judges i'm going to give it to that 
Um, but yeah, just really, truly impressive and moving stories. Like Judge Karuti was just like, so brave. And David, you did a great job of talking her through that. Cause I feel like some people were asking her questions that were not on her. Like, oh, how do you solve the system of the Taliban? Or what is like, explain Sharia law. And I'm like, she's not responsible for solving the Taliban system. Like she's lucky she got out. And I right. thought you did a very good job of totally changing that question and posing a related one to her that was appropriate for her to answer. Thank you, Stephanie. I really appreciate that. And that was a difficult effort, but it was one I was happy to do because she is an absolute hero. And I'm not just trying to plug Relativity Fest here, but if you get a chance, these sessions are available online. You can see Judge Karudi, and we did this one in association with the National Association of Women Judges. And the International Association of Women Judges is active in it as well. Judge McLeod from the United Kingdom, who's also on our judicial panel, was part of it. And the fact that she got out was amazing. And of course, you saw me try to translate the questions. Judge Karudi's knowledge of English is just incredible. English is her third language. And I cannot imagine as a judge and a lawyer trying to articulate the way she does in your third language after what she's been mm -hmm. through. And we got to meet her children and uh, just, uh, boy, I think the word hero gets overused too much. She's one of them and she's legit. And uh, it's just our honor to have everyone. And it's an honor to have um, so many people from Legal Week's Friday Afternoon Roundtable to be here because <laughs> you guys all contributed and Steve, you were contributed from the press side and it, uh, it was just really great. And Access to Justice, good Jim Sandman, I think that a lot of people know him, um, former managing partner of Arnold and Porter, went to the DC Public Schools, went on to the Legal Services Corporation, now at UPenn Carey Law. Um, the guy's an institution and he's done so much good for so many people. And uh, just it um, gives you a good feeling and uh, it's, you're happy to do your job on this. And, and okay, I, I guess it's a shameless plug, but it, it's great that Relativity lets us do this. Yep, and Kristen yeah, was in the audience today. It was also on that panel, so uh, shout out to. I her. was I was going to say, you know, it's obviously Relativity Fest is a is a, a vendor conference, and there were certainly, uh, as you would expect, uh, lots of lots of sessions on uh, how to use Relativity, uh, new products, demos, and those sorts of things. But in all fairness, I, I was struck by the fact that the, the number of substantive programs you know, like we've been discussing really had very nothing to do with relativity whatsoever other than you guys thought it was sort of the right thing to do to have these kind of programs at your conference and i, I thought you know I, kudos to you guys for for doing that because it uh, you know for 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 most of us here i mean we we um we we know what relativity is and you know understand understand the products but we're not users of the products so you know some of those sessions were were above, above certainly above my head but to have all the all the offerings that you 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 had for really non-relativity things and interesting topics uh about the profession that was good i, I appreciated it as an attendee thanks steve that that means a lot because there's a reason it's called relativity fest and the shorthand is fest because you go there you want to have a good time and obviously it's, it's an educational conference and also a user conference as well. And there's the stuff, you know, as, as far as relativity, um, re-emphasizing relativity server being a, a hybrid offering with on-premises as well as going into the cloud with SaaS. But then people want to break from that. I mean, they do that 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And that's why, you know, 
we wanted to do the judicial panel and we don't just talk about, okay, here's the six prong test of federal rule of civil procedure 26B. Um, we want to get into some of the topics of the issues and that the judges face and, and stuff that um, you can sit back and have a good time. And from day one, they tried to have keynotes that were a little bit off. You, you want a break. You want to, obviously it's a user conference. You want to learn, but um, you want to have some fun and um, learn some other things as well. So Steve, thank you for the coverage and thanks for being there. Yeah. Yeah, two well, things I want to say about it, uh, and I know that there's at least one person in our regular audience who happens to have his own podcast who doesn't necessarily like it when we talk about the sort of behind the scenes stuff at some of these conferences. But the press room, fantastic press room. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it when conferences have a press room in the first place, uh, and it's and, even better and when, when, and when they give us food, with food. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and not only you know I. Also, you know, the press contacts are there in the press room for you to when you've got a question or need help with something. They're right there. You don't have to like wonder, like, how do I find that? Where do they go and wander off to? Uh, really good thing. Uh, also, kind of a press briefing with the executives. I, I had never met Phil Saunders before the CEO, the new newish 10 months or so CEO of Relativity. Uh, and uh, uh, really, uh, I was really impressed. I got to say, what I really, what I really like, this is like uh, his. I almost want to say reckless transparency. <laughs> I mean, he's he's clearly very committed to being very open and transparent and talking. Uh, not to, I assume to the to the staff, David. He had, at least that's what he kept saying. It was he was been very uh, frank and forthright with people on the staff, but in talking Absolutely. to us in, in the press. Uh, just seemed to not hold anything back. It was just, I appreciate that. Perhaps With Phil Saunders, what you see is what you get. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> to the chagrin of those marketing people you just mentioned who are fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm 100% a Phil fan. I was talking to him at the party and I was like, you understand how refreshing it is to get a CEO or any executive who just like doesn't try to like blow smoke at us and just is so honest. He's like, why would I not be that way? I'm like, I see your question, but you are a rarity, sir. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Remember this totally. party is completely full. We're looking for about 25 to 30 bags to check. We got one so far. Like Sorry, that, oh, those no, that's your. <laughs> I was like, "Where's that voice coming from?" I'm like, is there another, is there another panelist now? I forgot about? And I'm like, "Did Phil Saunders magically arrive?" Yeah, <laughs> no, those are 25 passengers who are going to have to check their bags now. Oh, uh, okay, all right. Uh, and uh, actually, one of the things I'm just going to say, I know we're just about out of time, but I, I like the way they did the keynote this year. The, I, I, I think they've done it this way in the past too. But uh, you know, again, a lot of con we've talked about, I've talked about the problems with conference keynotes. I often hate keynotes at conferences, and it, and generally, it's like one talking head, often talking about something that has absolutely nothing to do with law or tech or whatever else. Uh, and the way they they did it, it's it's basically kind of a product rollout. I mean, Phil gives a little bit about the the vision and the thought. Uh, and, and then Chris Brown comes out and the product, the chief, chief product officer, is that his title? Um, something like that. Vice president of product. I'm blanking on his title. I'm sorry, Chris. No, that way, uh, yeah, but, Chris Brown, chief product officer. Chief product, product officer. Okay. But, but it, instead of just him talking, it's, they, they're bringing out the teams who worked on developing sort of these different uh, enhancements and products, bringing on customers on stage to talk about their experience and kind of testing them out and using them. So it, it makes for a really nice actually an interesting and engaging kind of a keynote as opposed to just one person up there talking about here's what we, here's what we've accomplished this year and here's what we're doing next year so i like that format so good good for good for them for that i think we are just about out of time here we are out of time here so uh really appreciate david i really appreciate your effort to hop on at the last minute 
and uh, Stephanie from the uh, difficult uh, scene of having to hop in from the Hyatt there. I will never leave the Hyatt. I, part of me will always be in the Hyatt. All right. <laughs> and uh, Nikki for hopping off your webinar and uh, Steve and Victor for wherever you hopped in from. Appreciate it. And everybody else listening, we'll see you uh, see you next week. Go along. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Bye Have all. a great weekend. Bye. See Bye. you guys.